Hi everyone, welcome to Childcare Inspirations, inspiring early childhood educators and providers through laughter, learning and connection. Hi everyone, I'm Tina Gears, owner of Inspired Minds ECC, and I'm super excited to welcome everyone today to our discussion on risky play and creating a yes environment for children. And I'm even more excited about introducing my guest, Tom Hobson, whom some of you may know as Teacher Tom. Hey, Tom. Hi, hi Tina. Thanks for having me on. All right, so I'm gonna tell everyone a little bit about you. You're a preschool teacher, blogger, speaker, artist, and author of a couple books now. So Teacher Tom's first book, as well as your Teacher Tom's second book. I love your title. <laughs> I'm like, that is, that is unique, original, I love it. <laughs> I bet you can guess the title of the third book. Uh, oh, it's gonna be something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> All right, so you were a preschool teacher for nearly 20 years. Yes, that's right. Um, in the Woodland Park Cooperative School. They, and you focus mostly on two to five-year-olds, correct? That's right. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And now you're just helping out with um, kind of being a voice and making sure that everyone has a different understanding and a really, I think, a solid understanding of play-based education for preschool. That's, that's, that's my mission, right? I, I've, you know, the blog is still up and running, Teacher Tom's blog. It's been there for, since 2009. Um, I'm the last man standing, I think. There's a few of us that have been doing it that long. Yeah. Uh, but I got the blog going, and, and, uh, and I'm working right now with uh, Fairy Dust Teaching, putting together an international conference yeah um to talk about kind of what what's next you know because is is right now we're in the middle of a, a ve some very interesting times to say the least and uh that's usually considered both a blessing and a curse and yeah. we're hoping to create the blessing out of it we're trying to get together and talk with uh ece leaders from around the world i mean some really big names and people you've all heard of and we're coming together at the end of july to to try to talk about you know not only our experiences with COVID and all that but also um, what can we do? What, what, what are some of the good positive changes that can mm -hmm. come out of this? Because that's, this is a good time to make positive change. So just to give people a taste, you know, Janet Lansbury is going to be there. Peter Gray is going to be there. Maggie Dent from Australia is going to be there. We got speakers from Sweden and from Greece and from China and from India. It's going to be a big group and it's going to be a lot of fun. That's very global. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. So count me there. I'll be the one chatting all the time in the blog, in the uh, chat lines. That's what I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I, you know what I've noticed lately that I see a lot more families walking by and what I got really excited over is families walking around with sticks. <laughs> like these kids are carrying sticks three times the size of their body, dragging it behind them. And to be honest, I live in an old neighborhood, so we have a lot of newer families coming in. And it's nice to see more connection with the families and children. Like I never used to see so many kids walking around and never, honestly, never with sticks. I've never seen a kid walk around with a stick in my neighborhood. And it reminds me of my childhood. And now we consider that risky play or adventure play, but that was part of me growing up. Like you played with sticks, you threw sticks. Yeah, I mean, well, I think, I mean, you're right. I'm sorry to interrupt there, but it, you yeah. just reminded me, this is, I just think that's one of the big changes that we, yeah. we can see is that there, a lot of parents 
have had maybe the first opportunity in their children's lives to spend days at home with their kids yeah. and, and, and get the opportunity to, you know, because what happens if you're not experienced with working with children on a day-to-day -day basis, if most of your experiences after your kid's tired out after a day at childcare or preschool or something like that, um, you know, and then you basically read them some stories, feed them some food and, you know, and, and put them to bed. Um, you don't, you don't get to see, you know, what happens over the course of the day. And, and what happens I think is when we're absent, um, we, we, we devolve into catastrophic thinking, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of thinking, I mean, and we can all do it, right? Yeah. I can play that game right now. You and I are sitting in our homes, you know, chatting, <laughs> chatting over the internet. Uh, but I can imagine how dangerous it could be right now, right? Our buildings could fall down. Uh, lightning could strike. Uh, and so, and, and, we, and it's, it's an easy thing to do. And I think, you know, we love our kids so much um, that we worry about them and we do that. But I think having this experience to be day to day with your kids and to see, you know what, they can pick up a stick and play with the stick. Yeah. And you know what, they haven't hurt anybody They're you know, or, or they can play with rocks or they can jump off of things. Uh, all yeah. of these things we're starting to see that these are things, it's not only that they want to do it, they really, children really need to do these things. Yeah. And it's all ch child initiated. Like it's all, I'm seeing it from the children. Like I walk by one of my um, neighbors and they have two little girls there and they're jumping off. Like they have the old style tree house and they're climbing up that little rope ladder. They're jumping off it. The little one just kind of goes down a few rungs and jumps off the bottom one. But well, right there. She just did some risk assessment, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. And you there's no parents in the backyard. Like, Mm -hmm. That's how I remember growing up. And it's just allowing children to go back to that, right? And not being overly protective and or putting them in a bubble. Like it's nice to see that that's kind of coming back to families. And I'm hoping that's going to translate over to childcare. Like in our well, in our oh me too. And I think it's important. I mean, that's the the you mentioned my you know, I was at been at Woodland Park Cooperative School for the better part of the last two decades. And, you know, it's a, it's a parent owned cooperative. So mm -hmm. that's and legally the parents are the owners of the school. And part of their obligation is to work in the classroom uh, with me and work with the children. And that to me has been, you know, that's what, uh, you know, watching parents go from being these nervous new parents who are worried about every little bump and bruise to suddenly realizing that the bumps and bruises are the least of their concerns. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> In fact, the bumps and bruises are the parts that the children, you know, they cry and they get over it. And then they're showing off their, their owies, right? Their learning injuries, which um, is something you don't say in a normal school. Is I, it, it, but we're able to say to each other, well, that's a learning injury. Yeah, I love that. A learning injury. I'm going to start using that. It's a learning injury. I wonder if we can write that in licensing reports. Learning injury. <laughs> we be should like, be able what to. What is that? I think so, because then they're going to ask you about it. And you'll be like, well, this is what the children learn through this. Yes, I right. know they have a scratch or something, but hey, this was what they learned. And I think that would bring more awareness. To well, and I think, and this is something that I like to share with people, even though I think it falls into the category of um, true but maybe not immediately useful um, is you know young children are clearly designed to learn through their injuries mm -hmm. right they're low mm -hmm. to the ground so that you know when they fall they don't have far to fall their their bones are incredibly flexible it's hard That's to break those bones i mean I know. <laughs> think about my brittle old bones and you know and i had a boy one time he broke his femur the biggest bone in his body during Ooh. the first week of school uh, it wasn't at school thank god it was at, at home 
But within 30 days, that kid was running full speed on the playground. Now, that's not going to happen to me. No, um, no. I'm 58. I break that bone and I might not walk again. Their teeth yeah. grow back, right? They have a whole new set of teeth. Yeah. They <laughs> uh, they're, they're, you know, when they're born, they're, um, their skulls aren't even all the way fused. Mm -hmm. So they can bump their heads and there's room for their brains to swell without getting a concussion. And, you know, their skin, you know, heals like, miraculously yeah. fast. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'll be tending to a bloody owie and, and I can almost see it healing in the moment. And so for me, it's, it's in, 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 but that's how nature or God or however you want to look at it has designed human beings yeah. so that we can learn these lessons. That's what those are, are learning. And, you know, everything you learn, that, you know, that's the, uh, the metaphor, right? It makes you stronger, right? Every, mm -hmm. Everything that doesn't break you makes you stronger. Well, all of these things make us smarter. They make us understand. We say all the time, you know, one of our mantras at my school was always, you know, the best way to learn about asphalt is to fall on it. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. You can't, you I, I can, got scars. <laughs> that's right. And those, 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 I, that's, you talked about, you know, our childhood when we were younger and those different, I don't remember there being a time that I didn't have a nice big raspberry on one of my knees or my elbows. Yeah. That yeah. was just, that's what knees and elbows looked like. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, yeah, exactly. That's just was part of our daily. We didn't have to label it as anything because it was just part of our daily activities. It's part of our experiences. So I really like, let's get more a little bit about risky play because everyone's like, okay, you guys. <laughs> um, I love some of your stories that you share about how the children in your program um, explored with risky play. So a lot of questions I have is how do you promote it? Like, should we tell them to do it? Like, what do you do in terms of promoting risky play? How does that come across? Well, I'll just say I don't promote risky play. I actually, you know what, if I had my preferences, the kids wouldn't do it, right? If I just, you know, if you asked me, hey, should I, you know, fall down and hit my head? I'd say, you know, don't do that. <laughs> um, but, but I don't promote it. It's just, it's, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't have barriers against it necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, the first step, and I think this is really true, is you have to, in your mind, really, and everybody's at their different stages as adults in this journey, right? Mm -hmm. Some of us are more relaxed, some of us are less relaxed. And so, you know, you got to follow your judgment no matter what. Um, but to me, the first thing I do, and I, would do, I do this every day on the playground, every day in the classroom, is the first thing I do is try to look for hazards. Okay. You know, things that are just, yeah. you know, if there's broken glass on the playground, that's just a hazard. There's no reason to have that. There's no good reason to have that there. So you get rid of broken. If there's a sharp pokey bit right next, you know, at eye level or rusty nail or something, you remove that because mm -hmm. um, those are hazards. Those are things where you can accidentally get hurt just yeah. by going about your day to day life. Risk to me is when I define it, I would say it's something the child themselves has chosen to do. They believe they have a question they want to, can I do this? You know, what's their question they have? Or what happens if I do this? Mm -hmm. uh, I will, and and what, what, what I like to do is give the children the chance, instead of me being the one who's saying, be careful, be careful, be careful, yeah. uh, which is actually a really meaningless phrase. Uh, it you. means yes. nothing. I agree. If, if I say to, you know, if I say to a child and try it, I mean, everybody, we've all done it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we all do it anyway, even though oh, yeah. I'm conscious of it. You it's say to natural. a child, be, be, yeah, and you say to a child, be careful. What does that mean, right? Because they're already being careful. Nobody's trying to get hurt. I mean, that's a joke we tell as they're trying to kill themselves, but that's just a joke. <laughs> Nobody's trying to kill themselves. 
And so, you know, what, what we do is when we say be careful, what we do is we cause children to sort of doubt themselves. You, you see them often, you'll, you'll say be careful, and they, they're looking around like, yeah. you know, what, what's happening? Is there a jet engine falling out of the sky under my head? I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so what I do is I see my role as if I see a child engaged in what I perceive as a risky activity, I don't tell them to stop, but I will give them my best advice. And I will go by making statements of fact about what I see. I'll give you a good example. Um, this wasn't that long ago. There was a, we have this concrete, a short concrete slope on the playground that was poured there for some erosion control. And, mm -hmm. and I was walking by and there's a boy sitting on one of our big yellow Tonka trucks on the top of that hill. Oh. I knew what he was thinking about, right? I mean, it's <laughs> there. And at the bottom of that hill, the hill wasn't that far, but at the bottom of the hill is a planter box, uh, for, you know, the, uh, wood, you know, a wood mm -hmm. planter box, just like a wall. Yeah. And it looked to me, I'm going, he goes down that hill, uh, he's slamming into that wall. And so I wasn't worried about going down the hill, it was the stopping, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they say, it doesn't hurt you to fall only when you land. And, and he was, he was waiting up there and I stopped and I looked at him and I said, and I said, if you go down that hill, I think you're going to run into that planter box. That's just a statement of fact about what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and said, I'm not going to hit it. And I said, I said, okay, well then I'm going to stand here to take care of you if you get hurt. <laughs> so he, he took a moment. He looked at, he looked, he looked up and down. He thought about what I'd said, I, I think. Right, I don't know, but I'm assuming I at least gave him the benefit of my best advice. And then I told him what my plan was. And he let himself go and he stopped within like a centimeter of that box. See, he had assessed his risks better than I had. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me with such a cocky look. I was like, see, I told you. <laughs> and I would say that 99% of the time when a child tells me I'm not going to get hurt in those kind of circumstances, they're the ones who make sure that doesn't happen. Like I was in a program and I, it was a toddler room and they had, I shared the story with you before, but they had a, a little house for the dramatic area and the walls of the house, it was a plastic house. The walls of the house were about, for me, about hip height. So not that far off the ground, but the children weren't allowed to climb on it. Like they were always told, no, 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 get down, get down, feet on the floor. You know, that famous feet on the floor, feet on the floor. And then I was looking and watching them and you could see the children looking at it and there was little grooves in the side where they're, they're the perfect steps. Honestly, I mean, even me, if I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I'd want to climb that too. And I uh, told the educator, Let, let's just see what happens. Let's see how they do this. And so they started when we stopped saying, no, don't do that. They actually took a moment and they climbed up on it. And it was neat to see how the different children assessed it. Like the older children, they went from using the steps in the side to just kind of jumping, just putting their feet, their feet over it. And then they would stop on the top and they would stop and look down and you could see that little smile on their face. Like, yeah, I did this. <laughs> And mm -hmm. then they had another obstacle where they had to go in the L section and get through a window. And they had to figure out how am I going to move my body from this ledge to like a window opening without falling down. And it was really neat to see like how they tried to do that. Some would get down and then hop back up in the window. Some would move their legs. But I remember the, I think she was the youngest of the group, really tiny little girl. 
And it took her a while. And first she would put her hands up and ask me to put her up on the wall. And I said, if you want to go up, you, you need to try yourself, right? I'm a supporter. If they can't do it, if they can't get on it, don't put them on. Because they, like you said, they know what they can do. So she figured out, and it took her a few times, and even some of the other children were trying to help her, and she would kind of hit them away, going, go away. <laughs> yeah. And she would try and do it, and she was so proud of herself when she got on that ledge, and she held on to it. I didn't have to say, oh, you need to hold on. She did it automatically. And yeah, and she was just so proud. And when her mom came, she's like, I did it, I did it. And she showed her mom what she could do. She was so proud of herself. Yep. And that's all she did. She just went up and down, up and down. And no, well, that, that sense of accomplishment is, a, is an important part of this. I think the other piece that, you know, you said, you know, I, I don't always, you know, I don't, they don't always know what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, that's why they're trying it usually to see if they can do it. And I think that's, that's what, that's, that's what learning is, right? Is yeah. asking a question and then trying to answer it. So it's, it's, it's very obvious, and, I, and I, we have found that over and over again, and I have found that throughout my career. The moment you say to a child, like you're talking about a wall, you say to a child, don't walk on that wall, and then turn your back, right? That's where they're going to go. And, yeah. it, it, and, you know, and the truth is, is that if a child really wants to do something, and I think this is actually a universal truth, no one has ever prevented somebody from doing something they really want to do. We might stop somebody today or tomorrow, but eventually when your back is turned, they're going to go try it. Yeah. So to me, it's much better to have these, these risky play behaviors take place when my eyes are there on them, when I can be there to give them my best advice, to care for them if they get hurt, to caution them, you know, and, and to point out hazards, right? Because mm -hmm. that's kind of the adult role in this, right? We have, mm -hmm. you know, supposedly we've lived longer, so we have some wisdom. So we, we have the ability to, if we can get out of that catastrophic thinking, yeah. Um, and give them that chance to, to make their, to, to learn how to assess their own risk, because that ultimately, once they're off our radar, that's the best safety device method there is, is to take care of ourselves. I think that we've almost uh, forgotten how to respect children in, that, in their own safeties. Well, yeah, I think we've, I, I think we're afraid, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, we, we have, um, you know, for whatever reason, we've developed this kind of culture of, of fear around childhood. We're worried about all kinds. I mean, you know, and I, I feel sorry for parents today. I yeah. mean, it really is hard being a parent right now because, you know, every time you open up, you know, well, you open up your browser, you're seeing some news story about, you know, a child who's been hurt or kidnapped mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. abused or, you know, all the millions of horrible things. And those things have always happened. But now we hear about all of them, right? There's, yeah. there's, and it's, and on top of that, then we have this whole kind of fear mongering yeah. um, that is actually created by, by, you know, a lot of times by people trying to sell products. It's like, you know, oh, well, keep yourself kids safe with using this product or that product. And, yeah. or, or even worse, the academic fear mongering. It's like your kid's going to fall behind if they don't have this kind of academics at this age and blah, and all this stuff. And all of it is complete BS, to use mm -hmm. the French word for it. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, You're right. uh, so, it, so it's, um, well, I think that we have a, we have a generation of parents and plus, you know, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the new parents right now, you know, they're young enough that they may not have grown up in the era that we did when, you know, when, when, uh, you know, your mom would say to you, you're driving me crazy, go outside and you're a four-year-old <laughs> and she just sends you outside in the street. Yeah. 
and you and you walk and you knew what to do. You were comfortable. You walked up and down the street looking for other kids. You didn't find them. You knocked on doors. You had you know, and then finally you found a kid. You know, and you didn't care if it was a boy or a girl or older or younger. No. You're just looking for other kids. You weren't. You were. To, you were unsupervised. There weren't adults out there constantly telling you what to do. Or if they were, they were kind of behind windows. You know, maybe peeking out at you once in a while. There was, you know, you didn't have, I don't remember many toys being part of it. They're like you said, the sticks and the rocks and the things we find out that the real things Yeah. our favorite toy. I'll never forget. This is garbage day. And everybody had the big galvanized steel garbage cans. Don't and once the garbage, yep. <laughs> the garbage collectors had come and taken all the garbage. Those were our toys. Those, those, those empty garbage cans, those we'd get inside of them and we'd, we'd build things out of them and we'd put them in the wagon, you know, like a red wagon, like on its side, and that would be a race car. And, we would drive like around the and this is the kind of thing, you know, and parents didn't care, right? It's a garbage can. Who cares if you're playing with a garbage can? Um, took the time we found the dead mouse and then my mom sort of freaked out about that. <laughs> bleach, bleach, bleach. <laughs> yeah. But you don't see much of that. Um, and it would be nice for all of us just to have the confidence to communicate with families and say, hey, this is a part of children's learning experiences. This is why we allow them to do these things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, having that ability and that really that confidence to communicate the learning behind this kind type of play with families. Well, I, think that, I think that's really important. I think more important, or additionally, uh, when we talk to parents about the benefits of risky play and why we uh, create environments where risky play is not necessarily stopped uh, the way to talk to them is is right is right before their kids got the band-aid right is to start talking to them in advance to it to you know it's sort of like managing expectations mm -hmm. you know and i always tell the i mean i've always told parents in the fall i've always said expect your child to come home every day covered in you know mud and water mm -hmm. and paint and snot because you know Oh, those yeah. other kids, those other kids are going to get snot on them. And right during COVID time, let's be real. That is happening and it's going to keep happening. Yep. And, and blood. And I would always include blood as part of the mess. Um, and, you know, when you get, <laughs> you get some nervous laughs from the parents and it's like, but at, the, at that time, you know, the kid isn't the one hurt and their, mo their mommy instinct isn't, uh, alarms aren't going off or their daddy instincts aren't going off. And, and so that's a good time to prepare them in advance because one of the things that I think benefits from that is then, when they come up and pick, come pick up their child at the end of the day, you know, they check the kid out and say, well, I see some paint and I see some mud. All right, no blood today. I win, you know? Okay, that's, I think that's going to go into a lot of policies of what to expect your child to come home with. Well, that's fabulous, know, it, though. And I think that's a piece of it. And I think, you know, it's, um, you know, we, it's so important to understand that these injuries, are the, most of them are learned, every injury is a learning injury at some level, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, every one of them we teach, we learn, even if we get injured now, we learn something like, you know, I shouldn't have gone hiking on that cliff or I should, you know, or I should make sure I put on sunscreen before I get sunburned yeah. or whatever little injury things we have. And I think it's really important to know, to talk about these things in advance, to have the conversations, to deal with, to give um, parents a chance to express their concerns. Yeah. Um, we use, for example, in our school, we, uh, we use hot glue guns, even with the two-year-olds. Yes. And you know, these are powerful tools. These are, you know, I mean, people get hammers and nails and saws, and we use those too. But, you know, for a preschooler, it's hard to build something with those tools. Yeah, you can drive a nail. But if you want to make something, the hot glue gun is the way to go. Mm -hmm. you can just, I mean, we just pull out the recycling box 
and the kids just take that all the garbage and they start gluing stuff together and making whatever they make airplanes and castles and all of this kind of stuff and yeah they do burn themselves you know the two-year-olds burn themselves it, it's everybody burns themselves when they use a hot glue gun I, like I said I just did it like two yeah ago. <laughs> you do it you do it almost every time you use it but the difference yes. you know and of course the first time you cry bloody murder you've learned something you know we keep a, uh, we keep a cup of water over there to dip your finger in to cool it down and all that and and what I love watching is some of those two-year-olds the first time they burn themselves they make the commitment at least it seems I'm not going back there mm -hmm. right <laughs> they, they walk away but by the time they're four or five years old you know, it's, you just watch them there and they, and, and, and that you see them working, they burn their finger, they shake it off yep. and they go right back to work. And so I think this is, this is because that tool is so powerful and what they're doing is so that, that's having an injury once in a while is part of it. I mean, the same thing with using a hammer, right? I mean, yeah, you hit yeah. your thumb with it. Everybody hits their thumb with the hammer when they're learning how to use it. And so I think giving children the opportunity to have those experiences, the same experiences they're going to have at whatever age. Mm -hmm. uh, Giver Tully, uh, he's the founder of the Tinkering School, and he's had, got a, a really good yeah. TED talk. Uh, he talks about, you know, if children, if all they've ever known are, are rounded corners and, you know, padded, padded the edges, the moment they get out in the real world, they're going to hurt themselves on those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And another thing that he talks about that I like to keep in mind is he coined this term dangerism. And every culture has certain things that they do. Every culture that's ever existed, the certain things that their children do that other cultures would look at and say, oh my God, mm -hmm. right? Like the Inuits, um, you know, they've got their three-year-olds with incredibly sharp knives so they can get the blubber off the seals because that's just a skill you need in life. Whereas, you know, we freak out when a three-year-old or a two-year-old gets their hand on a sharp <laughs> knife. And you know? we do, and, well, in every day in Alberta, yeah. in Washington State, wherever, wherever I go in the modern world, the most dangerous thing that a child is going to do every day is get in the car. Even if they've got the, the, seat, the child seat on and everything's proper, look at the injuries. They're much yeah. more likely to get hurt sitting in their car seat while they're getting driven around town. But we take that as just you're like, oh, well, you know, big deal. That's just a risk of life. Um, but somehow climbing a tree, ooh, you know, that's extra dangerous, which, you know, Children get hurt climbing trees too, but they're not, they have a much higher risk in a car. Yeah. And, I, and I think the other thing that we need to look at, you know, we're talking about the trees like that. And I think about this a lot is we, we tend to focus on the daredevil kids, right? Those are the ones we, you know, our hearts beat about and everything. <laughs> and we, we tend to, you know, that's where we put our focus. But if you keep your eye on the non-daredevil kids, they're out there taking their risks too. They're the ones who maybe are only, you know, you know, you know six inches off the ground you know, on, on the lowest branch on the tree. But they say, look at me, look yeah. at me, I've climbed the tree. And so that they're, again, they're assessing their risk. They say, well, this is pretty high. This is as high as I can go right now. I feel good about, look at me. Yeah. And there's all these day-to-day -day little risks that we all take too like that, that, you know, and those are the ones we don't worry about, right? So it's, a, it, it's, it's constant, every child is risk-taking. And, and I wanna also point out, we talk about physical risk and that's what we're talking about right here mostly. But there's an incredible amount of social and emotional risk taking that children, that young children take too. Yeah. Asking another child to play with you, that's a big risk. Chances are they're going to say no, right? And that, that, that then, then you're hurt. It, hurts, it hurts your feelings when you say, will you play with me? And they say no, yeah. uh, which is usually the answer from yeah, a two is. or three-year-old. Um, and, 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 you know, entering into play, you know, coming up and seeing a game ongoing and try to enter into, that's a big risk that a child is taking. So this is... This is a big part of what we do when we're um, preschoolers. 
If you're starting to try and be more comfortable with risk, I think that would be a great place to start is just look around in your environment and see what social emotional risks are children taking. What are those little steps that they're taking, social, emotional, and physical, that are already implemented into your program to help you feel more comfortable? Like, oh, this is already happening. So I can go the next step to my next comfort step. Um, and that can be as simple as allowing, say, a toddler to stand on a low chair. Mm -hmm. Or maybe stand on a block, like those wooden blocks. Just something a little bit higher. Yeah. Just uh, like take those, what I don't like to call them baby steps. I call them comfort steps. Right. Because educators have to assess, as adults, we need to assess where is our comfort. Because if we're anxious and we're nervous, that's going to come off on the children. And they're not even going to realize why they're anxious and nervous. They just feel, okay, well, Miss Tina, she's nervous about something. So now I have to be hyper aware when normally I wouldn't be. Well, it causes them, our anxiety, our obvious anxiety causes children to start doubting their own um, assessment because yeah. they look around, they see the adults. Well, one of the things I, I, I talk to parents quite a bit about on the playground because they work with me in the classroom uh, is, you know, never, never run in panic, right? If a child falls down, Running to that child, those, those seconds you save aren't going to make a difference in the, to the child's you know, health and well-being, but they're emotional. When, when an adult runs, that's a really scary thing. Yeah. I mean, running for fun or running for exercise is one thing, but running you know, toward, you, toward me, that's a big deal. That's going to create a lot more anxiety than needs to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've seen that in the classrooms where the child falls down or they hit their fingers or something and they kind of stop and all of a sudden someone rushes towards them and then they look up like a deer in the headlights, like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Right. And now they start crying and losing their mind because they think something big is happening, but you could have seen beforehand them going, huh, oh, okay, I think, it, I think it hurts. Yep, that hurts. <laughs> yep, I think so. <laughs> and it's just exasperated when an adult adds to that. And well, very often our concern and our over solicitousness. I mean, very. You know, I I tend to wait for a child. If I see a child fall and it's not, you know, if they hit their head or something, I'm right there. Or, or if it's obviously they're bleeding. But it, you know, a normal day to day fall, I wait for the child to let me know that they want me to attend to them. And usually that is, you know, like a, they start to cry or they hold their arms out to you or something like that. Yeah. Or you just that look of pain on their face, you, you know, you move yourself closer. But I'd say, you know, at least half the time, they just, you know, they shake, they get back up and keep going. And it's be, being respectful to the children by doing that. You're being, showing them respect. It's just like adults. If we hurt ourselves, we don't always want it to be noticed by everyone else. That's exactly true. Right? It's like, no, 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 just leave me alone. I'm fine. Like we fall face first on the concrete. You don't want people standing around. And yet we do it all the time in childcare. <laughs> Especially right. older children, they're like, oh, it's funny. Okay. This is, and this is a neither here nor there story, but Tina, but I, um, there was, uh, you know, I, I kind of developed the habit. I kind of had this idea along those lines. I, I thought to myself, you know, even when you say, you know, a kid falls or something and it, you say, are you okay? You know, before they've made any indication, I thought, you know, that's actually sort of leading and it's a little disrespectful, you know, and I don't like it when I stumble and somebody says, are you okay? And, you know, kind of, it makes me feel embarrassed and all that. So I decided, you know, I'll always wait for the kids. And there was one time a boy, he, he was, he sort of fell down, was lying on the ground and I was kind of standing near him, but he, he didn't get up right away, but he also wasn't crying. It was maybe his feelings. I don't know what it was, but I was near, I was looking at his face and 
I wasn't saying anything to him. And this, and this was a two-year-old. And uh, one of his two-year-old friends came over and he looked at me and he looked at me with such anger. And then he looked at his friend and said, are you okay? And then he looked back at me like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, <laughs> teacher Tom, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, I, let me show you what to do. You clearly uh, have missed something here. And I, I love that, actually, because, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, whether it was a learned thing from his, you know, that's just what he likes. And that's great, because obviously he likes people to ask if he's okay. And then now you know when that child falls or hurts themselves you know what they need so just by simply observing being near the situation being attentive but now you learn and i love that peer interaction of like them really taking what they've learned in the environment and showing you like hey adults this is the way it's supposed to go <laughs> right this is how we want it to happen right yeah so the big question i want to touch on this uh briefly here is playing a risky play for infants and toddlers because I think a lot more people are comfortable with doing like the ladders the climbing the tools all of this with preschoolers and up but I think a lot of people struggle with the younger children so what would you say that looks like risky play looks like for young children well, you know, and I'll, I'll have to be honest with you, Tina, I've never worked with kids under two. I mean, that's my two and up. So the, in, the infants and toddlers uh, is just more, uh, I'm going to be speaking from, from theory more yeah. than, than experience. Uh, but what I have discovered working with children from two to six, all in the same environment, is that you don't need to do anything particularly different. Um, you know, an infant, like you were talking about before, you know, if a child is trying to climb up on something and they can't get up on it themselves, you know, the best safety thing to do is not help them. Mm -hmm. You don't help them up there. You can go be beside them. Yeah. Um, you can, you can, you can, you can give them statements of fact about what's going on. That's very high. You're trying to climb up there. Um, the ground is hard below you. You know, those, these types of things. But of course, you know, language isn't always the best way, isn't the best way to deal with an infant, for example. But giving them the opportunity, I think, you know, for me, you know, our playground at the school is, you know, is what's truly called a junkyard playground. I mean, it really is like a vacant lot. And when I watch the, the older children jumping off of things and climbing things and, and just, you know, being really high and taking all these risks and, and you know, and then the younger children come out there, same playground. Mm -hmm. For them, just walking across that uneven surface because there's not a flat place out there that's a big enough risk for them. They have to use their full concentration to do that, just to walk from here to there. It takes some of the two-year-olds several months before they've explored every corner of the playground because they, they spend so much time just trying, I'm going to walk from this place to this place because of the uneven ground and, the, and the, the debris that's out there that they have to walk, navigate and walk around. Uh, for me, though, it's, it's really a matter of, I always say, you know, if you're a nervous parent or a nervous adult, stay close stay near, uh, avoid just saying no to things. And, and I know that these yes spaces is uh, something that, that I like to talk about. I learned this from Janet Lansbury, actually, the yes spaces concept is create spaces. So in your home for your infants and toddlers, it's really, I think it's important to create yes spaces for them, places where they can, they can well, first of all, they don't have the hazards, right? They don't have the places. If you don't want them climbing up, you know, three times higher than their heads, Make sure that opportunity is not in that room, but make sure that everything that's in that space, they can do with as they please. 
Because you uh, can control so that, the environment, but don't try not to control the children, right? Exactly, exactly. So control the environment in advance. You know, that Reggio Emilia concept that there are, you know, the three teachers, right? There's a, yeah. the, the, the first teacher are the, um, you know, the adults, the second teacher are the other kids, and the third teacher is the environment. And one of the ways the environment teaches is by how we set it up, how mm -hmm. we have it ready for the children. So, you know, for an infant or a toddler, you know, or for any preschool, you don't want to have like, you know, bottles of bleach. Uh, lying around, you know, um, but you want to make sure that these are places where you know that you can walk away. Yeah. And, the, and and you don't have to be there supervising all the time. And so to me, that can be the bedroom, that can be, you know, maybe a place in the garage, maybe in the cellar, maybe it's outdoors. Outdoors is the easiest yes place for most people. Okay. Um, because, you know, you let the kid and remember, if there's a plant in their yes space, they get to pick it. Yeah. Right, because if there's a if there's a tree in their yes space, they should get to climb it. So just make sure that, um, and you know, you, at in the beginning you're wanting want to keep an eye on them, but eventually, your my goal as an adult with children is always to stay back for as long as I possibly can, to avoid intervening till I absolutely have to, um, and and my rule of thumb of knowing when to intervene is it's a three step program. Yeah. You know, the first step is to take a step back. The second step is take a second step back. And the third step is to take a third step back. And only then, you know, do I find myself intervening because this gives children a chance to do their own risk assessment, which again is the best safety tool in their tool belt is to assess their own risk. Yeah. Um, I love how you brought up for like toddlers and infants, just uneven surfaces is a risk for them because i've seen lots of times in programs where they do pillow pathways and they're mm -hmm. crawling and walking or sensory pathways and if yep. you really look at it that is a risk they have to have that sensory inputting established to be able to understand how to balance their bodies yeah that's another thing that we've done is we take gym mats and we just put blo some some blocks under the gym mats yeah. you know and then the kids have this uneven terrain they can walk around on when they fall it's a gym mat um, so, you know, you feel like there's a little bit of safety there and we give them that chance to just, and oh boy, they have fun doing that too. Oh yeah. Oh, come on. Any kind of climbing and inclines and stuff. That's super fun. Right. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, to finish this off here, I know a lot of people are asking, will ask me, okay, well, what would you recommend we have to, you know, allow these comfort steps towards risky play? What kind of materials or even resources? do you think are, would help educators with this kind of environment? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say because every, every place is different, right? Every environment is different, every space. You know, on the indoors, I think having opportunities when, if you're going to spend a lot of time inside, which I hope you're not actually, frankly, especially right now, um, being outside, germs don't spread as easily, get outside, yeah. be outside as much as possible. Um, but on the inside places, I do think having some gym mats around that you could throw down in certain areas, especially when some more rough and tumble plays starts erupting, at yeah. least you have this, this, uh, this, it, what I like is, you know, sure there's padded, they're padded a little bit and all that. So that's part of the safety. But the, for me, the main thing is, is it, it creates sort of a, you know, the environment, it creates that third teacher suddenly has a space where here's where the rough and tumble play takes place. This is the yes place for that or these gym yeah. mats. Um, I think it's, I think to me, I have never been a stickler about standing on chairs or sitting on tables. Uh, and so what that means is you want to make sure your chairs are stable. You have good furniture. 
yeah. uh, and, and, and a table where a kid, because you know, when kids are working together, for example, at the art table and they're drawing a picture together on a big piece of paper, making them all sit in a chair to do that is impossible. It's much better if they can all get up on the table and be sitting there together working on it. And your job as the adult is to stay nearby with your hands out of your pockets. Mm -hmm. To me, that's one of the most important things to do is to make sure your hands are ready. And if there are other adults in the room and you have to be talking to them, avoid the eye to eye conversations. And I know a lot of people like, you know, love the eye to eye conversations. I know generally speaking, women tend to really prefer and men tend to have these shoulder to shoulder conversations, which is what I encourage in the classroom. What the adults should do is stand shoulder to shoulder, but keep your eyes on the kids and have your hands out of your pockets because that's you know, that's the thing, you know, go catch that head before it hits something, you know, be prepared. And I guess, that, you know, and the other piece is, is that then outside, you know, for me, I, we try to, you know, I like to make sure. So ladders are really important, I think are a really important tool to give to. And when I say ladders, I mean, everything from a one-step step stool up to, you know, you know, up to regular ladders for the children to, I do think um, having opportunities for children to do woodworking and other kinds of working with tools, yeah, I think is a really tools. a good way because tools, and, and I think tools are a special case too, right? Because we're play-based educators. Usually it's all about what the children choose. Well, tools are different. And anybody who works with tools for a living will tell you this. There's a right way and a wrong way to use tools. And this is a great opportunity to teach that safety. It's like a hammer's for hammering nails. If they want to start, you know, smashing up a, an old log, a rotten log, that's not a hammer's job. You use a mallet for that. And so then you go get out the rubber mallets and you use the mallet for smashing something up. And so we're, we're just, and kids like knowing this, you know, you don't use the wrench to hammer the nail, you use the wrench to turn the bolt and that type of thing. And, and make sure you have the tools there. And a lot of times, and then again, this is probably going to sound sexist, but there's a lot of female teachers who say, well, they're uncomfortable with the tools and everything that, you know, get rid of that one. The kids don't know anything about them either. Just learn alongside them about how to use those tools. And plus, you know, they're no difference than tools you use in other parts of your life for sewing or cooking or anything else. They're just tools. They're just, yep. Yeah. And have real tools, like not the plastic ones, because the plastic, I think children innately know that this is plastic. It doesn't really hurt that much. Whereas right. if they have real tools, they're like, Ooh, this is heavier. Like they're doing that assessment. Oh. Right. Well, and they'll realize really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and think about this for a second too. I mean, if you do this mental experiment and you go out into your garage and there's a toy lawnmower out there and a real lawnmower out there, which one do they want to play with? Yeah. It's always the real lawnmower. And the, the toy lawnmower, not only they, they might ignore it, but if they do play with it, they don't use it as a lawnmower. They use it as a car. They use it as something else because it's a toy and it's not, you know. So I, the real world is really important to young children. And I think this is, you know, to learn about the real world, they should have real world things. Yeah. I love that. Real world things. You've given me so much. I was like a lot. I've been writing down all these like key phrases that you've been saying. So I'm like, Oh, I like that. Oh, I'm like, going to like that too. Um, I think that's it for today. I think we're pretty much at our time here. So is there anything you want to add to the very end here, Tom? Uh, no, just thank you, Tina. And you know, listen, part of childhood it are those learning injuries. And the more we talk about this, the more we understand it. I think there's generally speaking, there's a growing awareness that we've maybe um, cotton wooled our kids a little too much, bubble wrapped them a little too much. Mm -hmm. And that it's, that, that it is time for us to start considering that that risk is the risky play, you know, is so important. And one of the things that I look around at it, it, children will always find ways to take risks. So everything you take away just means they're going somewhere else to find their risk. And, 
And one of the places children are doing their risky play right now, whether you know it or not, is online. If they have the opportunity to get on the internet, man, they go to the weirdest, strangest places yes. because that's where their risk taking is or they interact with strange people. And these are, these are not risks we necessarily want young children taking. Much better because they'll do it behind your back if they're not doing it in front of you. So keep it in front of you. Keep your eyes on them but get, and give them your best advice. But sometimes you got to let them fall down. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for joining us. And thank you for all our listeners for joining us today. I was really excited about having you on our podcast. I was like, couldn't even sleep last night. So um, <laughs> just want to say, don't forget everyone to check out Teacher Tom's blog site, at Teacher Tom's blog. Um, check it out, see what he has. He has some great things that, to share with everyone. Thanks everyone once again. My name's Tina from Inspired Minds ECC and I'd love to continue this conversation and hear back from everyone listening about what you've done in your environment to facilitate a yes environment and to support that risky play environment. So you can join me on Facebook Inspired Minds ECC to share those ideas and pictures and we can form a chat around that. Or else you can also go to my website, inspiredmindsecc.ca, and check out all the resources that I have on there, including some clips, video clips, some activity ideas, some insights just to share with all of us. Thanks, Tom, again once for joining me. Thank you, Tina. And we'll see everyone next time. Thank you all. Have a good day. Bye.